Hello and welcome to another extra spectacular, extra special, extra zombie-filled episode of... I almost said of The Last of Us, but it's the Normandy FM The Last of Us edition. Can we gotta get used to being a Last of Us podcast now. I'm still yeah. not fully used to it. Yeah. We call them zombies, but that's like... They, they, they have their own colloquialisms. That's something that's like... Yeah, they're clickers. That's that's something we might be learning about today as I, Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts, along with Kenneth Shepard here, talk about The Last of Us with another one of our wonderful guests here, Bella Blondeau. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm... We, we talked before the podcast as Ken's, you know, computer was imploding upon itself but i am alive um beyond that who knows <laughs> i did a karaoke here. I, I did karaoke last night it's at home zoom karaoke so no i was not out and about in in the pandemic and such uh it's, it was a friend's birthday and uh the decision was made to have zoom karaoke so I not only annoyed my neighbors, but destroyed my throat. So, <laughs> um, here we are. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I was just going to say, here we are in the cold light of the afternoon, and I am drinking a hot drink to try and recover and tell you all the good word about The Last of Us. <laughs> but before we get into that, for the folks at home, Bella, tell us a little bit about yourself and also, like, like, what you do and how you got into The Last of Us in the first place. Yeah, totally. So, I, hi, I am a games writer. I've been doing games writing online since, like, 2010 on Amazon. Um, got, got into the serious professional side of it in, like, 2016. Uh, and earlier this year, kind of made, made a clean break from it, taking a little bit of a back burner from that. And I'm currently doing blogger work at Nataku Games. Uh, just sort of marketing their marketing their upcoming titles and talking about them and making them a little more uh, appealing to a general mainstream audience. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I do. Also, I just post a lot on Twitter. I just post a lot of very contrarian and uh, dumb things, basically, uh, that people think are entertaining. I think. <laughs> and in terms of my history, of The Last of Us, I got it in college the day it came out. You know, it was like the last big PS3 game like of that Sony really put out like didn't they do if they did a few things after last of us but i think like that was like one of their last big tent poles for the ps3 mm-hmm. and um i just remember getting it the day it came out and playing it all straight through in one weekend and just absolutely falling in love with it and i haven't really revisited it since um and i've been really really eager to and i'm really glad i got the opportunity to because i i have nothing but good memories of it really except for you know some story stuff that we'll probably talk about Mm. so yeah that's that that's that's my experience with it i've been kind of playing it since day one and i really do enjoy both the game despite all of my uh complaining on twitter about them (laughs) it's um it's really interesting i think it in weird ways ken and i have talked about this before but like when we talked about how we're going to do the last of us i i think especially lately i've been coming to appreciate that um the the way that people engage with the last of us is not wholly dissimilar from the way that people engage with mass effect and that there is like a very conscious recognized like they they understand kind of some of the holdbacks of it but this there's still like a very deep-seated love for it because Mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of things that do that thing in the space um i don't think that's not limited to those series either i mean i 
I myself play a lot of visual novels, and so I understand that I, I like those things a lot while also understanding that there are a lot of holdbacks inherent to the genre. Um, oh, totally. But it's, I, it's been I'm interesting a, to explore that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Like, with visual novels in particular, like, I someone just the other day asked me for visual novel rec- like recommendation. I was like, okay, here's a bunch of key visual novels from the early 2000s. Now, what you have oh, to wow. understand is that most of these don't have super explicit content in them for, like, 90% of it, but you're just going to stumble onto it, but I promise mm-hmm. the story is good. So all those kind of fraught tropes and things to expect when getting into um, that genre, like, yeah, I, I totally see that for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I've definitely had that before where someone's like, oh, should I read Fate Stay Night? And I'm like, ah, I mean, it's good, but, like, there's going to be a part where you don't think sex is going to happen, and then sex is definitely going to (laughs) happen. It's going to be, and it's going to be a really weird pivot, too, because they'll be, like, talking about magic or some shit, and then they'll just be like, we're going to get into really weird descriptions of sex happening (laughs) for a little bit, and they're written in a way that i'm like did do you know what that is <laughs> no I'm the like, answer is no the answer is they they don't know <laughs> oh oh i like look i i like the fate series oh, a lot too. but that that particular area that always cracks me up a lot um Absolutely. but <laughs> but yeah um like specifically with the last of us like picking up and and for the listeners at home this is going to be a weird episode as i think ken and i both reorient ourselves because uh, for you at home, especially if you've been listening, um, not through the Patreon feed, but just through the free feed that we put up, um, there's only been a week between episodes. Uh, for the Patreons and for Ken and myself, uh, it's been like, what, a month? <laughs> like, <laughs> a few like, weeks. It's been a minute. Yeah, at least a few weeks. Uh, and uh, it's it, it's been a hot minute. And, of course, Ken, diligent, has been playing uh at the rate of of this game but i i hit a point where i was like i had a couple days where i had nothing to play but this so i got about probably i'd say close to halfway through the game and then was like oh i better stop or i'm just gonna beat all of this game and then recording the podcast gonna be a whole problem but (laughs) um i remember that one of the things i had specifically been talking about when i'd only played that first section of the last of us was that the world wasn't grabbing me the world was grabbing me but like the specific interactions weren't hitting for me just yet um specifically because like in the beginning you kind of it's just the intro is very scripted so all of that is like playing out as normal but once you actually start playing as joel and you're kind of walking around with tess and all that it's uh i i didn't feel a lot of that interesting chemistry that i'd heard about but now here where we start with uh this this boston area uh we've got ellie ellie is finally here ellie and joel are together it's happened and uh i gotta say like even right off the bat i was starting to really like the relationship they established between these characters because i think coming in and we had talked about this before the podcast but like ellie and joel obviously become this like duo that's very well known in video games but from the outset there is not like camaraderie right. <laughs> let's say yeah like, yeah like even even that initial moment like if we kind of had to uh we we, had, we were uh pressed for time the last episode we didn't really talk much about that moment of the meeting but like mm-hmm. it is very adversarial neither of them want to be there and i think they do like a really good job of like that the very moment like you get back control of joel of like there's 
nothing like it's dead silent and the two are just kind of looking at each other and it's like mm-hmm. you feel the immediate awkwardness like you know you take a few steps forward and like something happens and they have to talk about something but like there's not even like a hi how are you or like get like well i'm joel you're ellie like you know actually like a greeting just like these two people that could not be like any more disconnected from one another just having to fucking stand there and look at each other for a second Absolutely. I think that's really effective. And I also think there's something that Eric hit on with Joel and Ellie's initial dynamic is that Ellie, Ellie, I feel kind of rubs up against Joel in a way that he isn't expecting. Because earlier in the game, obviously, you see the dynamic between Joel and his daughter and his daughter is very kind of just like, matter of fact, blunt, Mm -hmm. jokey with Joel. And Ellie automatically sort of tries to like, be a little sarcastic, a little snarky, mm-hmm. a little a little like that towards Joel. And I feel like that take that catches him off guard. And I right. I feel like I didn't notice that parallel between his own daughter and Ellie this early on in the game. I think that's one of the more interesting things in this is that for you know, we have this relationship and this this whole area that we go through is just them kind of going through the world and experiencing all these things going around and and as they walk around ellie comments on this violence that's happening and she's kind of surprised by it which is weird you know um as kenny you noted in your notes like maybe ellie's not really aware of what the violence of the fireflies is because we've seen that already you know Mm. we saw them blow things up and all that and kill people uh but ellie is not really maybe aware of that stuff um right but, I think that's going to be like a, like a kind of a running theme through this whole section. Is like Ellie is you know seems mature for her age, but I, she you mm-hmm. also come to learn that she has been very much like living in a box and does not understand like the realities of a lot of things. Not just like the fireflies, but like kind of maybe come to learn that like the actual state of the world is maybe not widely understood by people of her age. And you know she like she's from like a military boarding school, and so like she probably learns about some of these things like you know in pictures and in textbooks of classes that she's in but like the actual like real world ramifications of the things that she is learning about she might not understand like the full breadth of that's weird to think about like classes and textbooks in this environment right like we're seeing a dilapidated world like we're seeing like people living in ruins we you know right at the beginning of the game we see uh, a group of people who are living in a condemned building pulled out and tested for the contamination for for uh, the cordyceps is that the name mm-hmm. of the official yeah. name yeah, yeah. Um, being tested for the virus because like, this is in the middle of the street like it's not like right. it's out on the outskirts you know obviously Joel and Tess don't live in the best part of town but they live down the street <laughs> and uh, we're seeing people being shot and killed there. Um, or are being put down by the the state essentially in the streets and it's like uh imagining normal things functioning like a schoolroom and textbooks right. and grades and things like that is just weird to think about that it could be yeah. happening that it could possibly be happening um right. but as as we eventually like we're moving through this whole area and and that was the the point i was trying to build up to was Joel in this section really gets established as like the the opposition to any of that idealism because I think Ellie mm-hmm. and especially Tess uh, right. begin to embody like an idea that the world can get better and the world can heal and mm-hmm. Joel is not that he's he's the opposite of that and I think that's almost um, runs against the player as well because 
uh, one of the other things that we have to grapple with in this this section is that while you know the whole segment with Joel and his daughter happened literally just before this for us uh, for Joel it's been decades like mm-hmm. he's had to live with this for a long time and so in, in that situation like I always like thinking about you know how does the player feel versus how does the player character feel and I think there's right. interesting friction between those two ideas here because we hear Ellie and Tess talk about these things like oh yeah the world can be different the world can be beautiful and Joel does not believe that <laughs> Joel right. is not down for that and I, I think what's interesting about that dynamic in particular is that Ellie, as like obviously not to get into more, into later details, but Ellie develops alongside Joel and their mm-hmm. dynamic and how they inform each other, how her optimism informs him and how his nihilism informs her. Just mm-hmm. is like one of the most rewarding parts I think of um, of both the games is right. you see that exchange between the two of them and you see it this early on with Joel being so world wary and not having the energy to think that things could get better, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that, like, even two episodes into the season, like, it was something I knew. Like, I, I knew that, like, part one and part two felt very uh, cohesive in terms of, like, uh, like themes and, like, threads that we're going through in terms of character relationships. But And, like, that was a thing that I knew even, like, when I played part two the first time. But, like, going back and playing part one now, I'm like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> not, not to say that I think part two was, like, written beforehand, but, like, there's, like, a really strong, like, cohesion to these games that I don't think a lot of AAA games get to be. And which is like what I think is one of their greatest strengths in terms of, uh, you know, establishing themes and characters and the way that all interacts with this world. Um, that I don't feel like it, that we uh, talked enough about around the time part two was happening. But it was also like a game that was fraught with like spoiler phobia, etc. Which we will talk about as we get get through these uh-huh. podcasts. Absolutely. So we, we get through a light section where it just kind of tutorializes some of the things that we'll be doing a lot in this game, like moving dumpsters to get on top of stuff <laughs> and all that. Um, and we, we get to our hideout where Joel just immediately like takes a nap, uh, which is the biggest mood. That's, I love it. It's great. Yep. <laughs> he just lies down immediately. He's like, look, I'm going to take a nap. You do whatever. And Ellie, obviously, like the not as weary old person is just kind of like okay well i guess i'm just gonna bounce around then and cause distractions and make life miserable for you <laughs> um and point out that your watch is broken yeah point out i was about to say the the, the watch uh, which was a nice little callback uh to the prologue mm-hmm. um and joel has a bad dream and wakes up and ellie's kind of been posted up against the window and this is I, i'm glad you pointed this out in your nose ken this um she mentions like she's never been this close to the outside of the quarantine zone and obviously that is where we're headed we have to get out of the quarantine zone and through i guess what you would call like infected america to get to Mm. where we need to take ellie and um this idea of like the whole area we've been in up to this point is already like very post-apocalyptic like i mentioned earlier like there's just terrible shit happening and even like we go briefly outside the city and already they're just infected all over the place and stuff and you have to deal with them but the idea that as bad as this area is it is potentially nothing compared to what it's like once we actually get outside of the quarantine zone and into what you know the entire country has become at this point and that that was kind of the moment where i had to sit there and be like oh wow so this is like 
This is this is city living for these people. This is right. yeah. Th- this is not even close to roughing it yet. And that was kind of a cool way of, of doing it. Is showing that through Ellie's eyes of being like, right. oh, yeah, there are people who haven't seen that before who won't see it potentially. Right. Yeah. So, oh, you go. Oh, you go. You oh, go. I was gonna say um, and it, like a lot of this section that we're gonna be playing like. They do a lot of, like, establishing and, like, world-building through Joel and Tess explaining things to Ellie, who, again, like she says, it can't be worse out there. Like, the things that we, as players and, like, people that know these uh, games through, like, cultural osmosis kind of, like, as- like associate with, like, the iconography of what The Last of Us is, she has never seen before. She doesn't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And it- it's interesting because, like, we talked, the, like, last, or, you know, how long ago it was when we talked about the last episode, um... There are like the bones of a society here, like us, like systems in place to protect people in like in quotes protect people. Um, that it is interesting. Like again, like a person. She, I mean, she's fourteen, so she's not like an infant that has never seen the world, does not understand anything. But like that, she could be so sheltered for this mm-hmm. long of her life that she does not understand. Again, like what is a clicker? Like she's never seen one of those before, and it's yeah. just. No, yeah, Ellie, like, the two things I noticed is that immediately Ellie is almost, almost more of an analog to the player than Joel mm-hmm. is, because mm-hmm. you, she doesn't know, you don't know, and you're learning with her. But I think, right. I, I think, Kenneth, you're, you're striking at a point um, that I, I wanted to bring up about The Last of Us, is that I think that oftentimes as a franchise, it does get lumped into a, I mean, franchise, there's two games, but as a duology, it gets lumped into like, you know, a a zombie game. People will mention it in the same breath as like a Dead Rising. But to me, where, where The Last of Us succeeds as a duology is in these moments inside the city limits, because... As you go across, as, as, as the games progress, you see these series of little microcosmic societies. All of <laughs> them are a little different. All of them have, like, different enemies, allegiances. Uh, some of them align on some things, some of them don't. And I think that is one of the best parts of these games, is you see a ruined world, and you see how humanity has coped with it in a right. myriad of different ways. And I, I just think that's absolutely fascinating. Seeing how that affects Ellie and seeing how she doesn't know certain things is just, right. I don't know, it's, it, it's a great way to, it's a great way to pick that. Yeah, and I think that, the, like, compared to something like, you know, like, again, you know, they say it gets brought up in, you know, the same breath as other zombie fiction, like, say, mm-hmm. The Walking Dead, there aren't and, I mean, there are like, occasionally, like, quote-unquote societies in those, but I feel like The Last of Us is is more so ha- has, um, like, different, you know, factions and values and uh, ways of, like, a society kind of, like, trying to, like, cope with the state of things, um, mm-hmm. some of which are more destructive than others, and, you know, even Boston, where we're at now, is not going to be, like, I think the most... Uh, what we maybe like on the outside would consider a normal or like progressive society um that we'll see throughout the, the whole series but like that is, it is an interesting thing that like last of us more so than a lot of other zombie fiction is not necessarily about like these in, like these groups of like close-knit people that just kind of like wander through the world but like there there are establishments there are uh you know hierarchies of like you know government and, and you know that aren't universal but like they do exist and they there are like attempts to kind of like reclaim that for their own in the midst of the fucking wasteland mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. well we're about to experience that wasteland because <laughs> tess <laughs> tess comes on back uh and basically gives the green light um tells us that marlene's got the goods that we want and uh 
we can go ahead with the job and uh Tess also informs us that Marlene had originally planned to deliver Ellie herself, but um, with the attack on the QZ and all that, uh, she's kind of low on people and all that, and which is why we're being hired, which I, as just an aside, I, I thought was an interesting way of basically saying like, you know, after she said that, I was like, oh, then why were you attacking the QZ in the first place? If you, yep. if you needed, if you needed these people for this very specific mission, you're like, I don't know, let's go out fucking blow up some stuff on the, on the <laughs> download. What's the worst that could happen? Um, I feel like that's an early establishment that the fireflies are maybe not the most coordinated group. Right. Organized. Yeah. My, yeah. my initial reading on that had always been that, like, to some extent, this attack was meant to be a cover to get Ellie out um, and it, like again, under Thor, the importance of whatever it is, it sh- whatever her deal is. Um, but yeah, it, it is maybe more telling about like the, the Fireflies as an entity. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I think even if they were going for that idea of let's blow something up and then use the cover to get her out, like as as Joel and Tess are about to show, um, it, it's way easier to just sneak somebody right. out than you might think, and and then again that like circles back to like how competent are the fireflies mm. <laughs> and, and like you know really more like you know what what are their solutions like what do their solutions commonly look like it, compared to someone like people like joel and tess who are more accustomed to working in the cracks between the cogs whereas the fireflies maybe like to just take a hammer to the grandfather mm-hmm. clock instead so yeah um I don't know why I'm thinking about grandfather clocks. Think about that TikTok of one on top of a Roomba. A TikTok of a TikTok. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. Anyway, that was like the worst I never joke put ever. that together, and that's really messing with me now. Moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, and we we walk outside you know we go through another super secret super duper double secret uh exit to the outside of which there there seem to be a lot in the quarantine zone Mm. you know for as fortified as of the walls as these are um there's a lot of just like bookcases with holes dug behind them and stuff like that or and Mm. and surprisingly well lit secret passageways (laughs) um that that we keep moving through but we we get outside and um I, I do like that you mentioned the generator QTE because I thought that was very, very quaint, a very like mm. of the era gameplay mm-hmm. mechanic. Uh, yeah, I, I do sort of miss. I, I I felt a weird nostalgia recently for the the 360 PS3 era of game design in some ways. Maybe it's because I'm playing Outriders, but <laughs> they're 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 retro now. They're like almost like you look at this game and it's almost ten years old and it's like this oh, almost oh qualifies as like a retro <laughs> game. We can yeah. it's easier to look back at AAA experiences that have stuff like QTs, like the generator QT, and go like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm nostalgic for this period of this period of game design because people don't do things like this. Like you, yeah. I I wanted to mention this for one second about the QT and about the gameplay in general. I was mm-hmm. kind of taken. With how much, like, Uncharted 3 this game feels to play, like, a heavier Uncharted 3, compared to 2, which felt, obviously, like, a very weighty, different experience. But this just kind of feels... I see those bones, especially when Joel has to, like, jump across something, and it has, like, a very defined outline edge. (laughs) 
Yeah, it it is interesting. Like that is something that's interesting about the last of us. They are both like the swan songs of their respective uh, consoles. So like they are very emblematic of like a very of like one generation of design. And it's uh like even stuff like the generator QT that wasn't in part two. I don't remember anything along those lines. And it's just no. like yeah, interesting stuff. Absolutely. It is interesting to think of these two games as like bookends to design, especially in the Sony realm of things. I feel mm-hmm. like it's very easy to draw lines there from, like you said, the 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 design choices of Uncharted Three carrying into this, whereas like the more modern design choices of Last of Us Part Two, which only came out at oh god last year, right? Last I don't year. know yeah. what time is anymore. <laughs> I just had a moment where I was like. Was it 2019 or was it 2020? Were we in a pandemic yet or not? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting to think of these games in that way. And I mean, we're about to get to some gameplay here in a second because we first we go through a whole sequence where Ellie is very surprised about being outside and 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 seeing the outside, and then we suddenly run into some folks, a patrol. Uh, that is scanning around uh, looking for, for folks that um, are, are, are just out and about. Uh, possibly could have been set off by the Firefly attack. Possibly, you know, in mm. the canon of Firefly is not thinking ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here we have a moment where very interestingly, like, Tess is trying to talk them down, and Ellie ends up, as they're about to scan her for the virus, she pulls a knife and stabs a dude, and a bunch of gunfire happens, and all the all the guards are dead. Um, and then, uh, as we find out, like Tess grabs the scanner and sees that it read as infected from Ellie, and so there's a big confrontation here where... Uh, Joel and Tess immediately start to think that Marlene set them up, but Ellie declares that she's not infected and and shows them the bite mark uh, where she got bit. Also, side note, this is a nice confirmation of, like, how the transfer happens, because that was kind of a question that I had at this point, was, like, Mm. are are we following traditional zombie rules here of bite equals infection or not? Uh, And it looks like we are. But... um, she has a mark that she claims is three weeks old and that Marlene has no reason to set them up. And uh, before we can get further into that, a patrol shows up, but I just wanted to point, talk about that scene a little bit. Cause I think that's, it's a cool moment when Ellie, like, again, it's, it's weird to say that the violence is part of her naivete, but it kind of is in that she was just kind of told like, Hey, don't get scanned. Don't get caught. Um, you know, do what you got to do. And in her moment, you know, where she could have reasonably tried to talk them out of it, like Tess or whatever, she's the one that ends up pulling the knife and stabbing somebody yeah. uh, before Joel and Tess even start to get lit. So um, I this, this was a cool scene. Yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting character moment for Ellie in particular. And I think that ties back to what we were saying earlier is that Ellie is the one who instigates this. Mm-hmm. But when the violence is capitulated and followed through, she suddenly, like, it kind of reacts yeah. in horror. She's like, I didn't right. expect you to kill them. It, it reminds me a lot of just, like, something my granddaddy taught me, like, when he taught me how to shoot guns in the Georgia woods. He was like, don't point a gun at somebody unless you're prepared for them to die. 
And mm -hmm. Ellie has been taught all of these survival mechanisms. Like, if you're caught, you can stab somebody. But the reality of somebody dying in front of her is something she hasn't experienced. And so it's this come-to-reality right. moment of these vi this violence that she sort of knows how to use to survive has these consequences. And, and I think that's a, a very important through line for her as a character. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I think my other my other takeaway from this was again about the fireflies and like obviously Marlene as we learn has has told Ellie like do not get caught do not let people find out uh that you are this person that has been bitten and as we soon learn like has been bitten for an amount of time that is abnormal and has not turned um has not been infected with the cordyceps virus um and you know, because of all the implications that could happen there if people do find out that a person like her exists. Uh, but obviously Marlene has told her and coached her in some ways, like, hey, don't get caught. You know, here's, you know, where did Ellie get that knife from? <laughs> obviously yeah. she had to get it from somewhere. Uh, but hasn't really prepared her for, ex or, or, or Marlene didn't want to tell her, like, all that kind of stuff. Whereas I think as, as we go through the rest of this game, the way that Joel can treat Ellie especially sadly not this episode but more in the next episode uh once we get to bill's town and all that um the way he treats ellie can sometimes seem frustrating the way he kind of like fathers over her and doesn't want her to like carry a gun or get into trouble or anything mm -hmm. like that but it's it seems almost compassionate because at least joel it feels like that's coming from a place of he understands the weight of what he's doing and does not think that it's work that Ellie should be doing. And I, right. I got some of that sense here that Marlene was willing to hand a kid a knife and say, stab somebody. Whereas Joel in his experience as a father and stuff like that is not so willing to put a kid in that situation. Yeah. Right. And I, th I think there's like an interesting, cause like, I mean, I, I would gather Marlene with, I mean, she, she's not like, as old as Joel, but I imagine that she was probably very young when the outbreak happened. So like mm -hmm. she has lived more of her life in this state of the world than Joel has, where right. I feel like he might be a character who has like fonder memories of the thing that, that can like, despite like his, where he gets very pessimistic about like things are going to be this way and there's no point in trying to stop it. Mm -hmm. He maybe like has that wish that Ellie did not have to go through that. And that, um, that is worth preserving. Definitely. Yeah. Like, like things are going to suck and Joel's going to do what he has to do, but that doesn't necessarily mean a kid has to do the same thing. And, right. again, I think that's some of his, his fatherhood coming through. But we don't have time to talk about that because a bunch more soldiers show up. <laughs> and we, we get into this section. So, Ken, I will say I had been messaging you at the time uh, when I was playing this, and I was like, Jesus Christ, Ken, this game is dark. I can't see shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, uh thankfully i as as i've learned i was trying to play it at like l let's say 1 or 2 p.m in the afternoon on a sunny day and light was coming directly in through my windows and once i like shut the blinds and all that it got a little bit easier to see but i think this is like especially compared to later sections that are also dark but not as dark for some reason this section of the game seemed unreasonably dark and i don't know why that was such like a bee in my bonnet but it was like I was just sitting there like I can't see shit right now I just can't see shit in this game I'm supposed <laughs> to play this stealth section where it wants me to like sneak around and take guards out and all that and 
I can't see shit. <laughs> Where do you want me to sneak? I can't see anything. I'm sneaking yeah. to another well, shadow. So, and, and that was kind of, I think this was where I hit my peak of frustration with the combat that thankfully within this episode got a lot better. But um, this section I did not think was good. I, I think this entire segment is not good to throw to a new player off the bat because at mm. this point not only do we not have a lot of the tools that we will eventually have to deal with um enemies but you are dealing with enemies who are very lethal very numerous and are a little bit more i, I don't want to say intelligent but they will do things like try to flank you and try you know they're not just going to run at you in a horde like the zombies will they will try and get around you they will throw things at you they will shoot you they will have different types of enemies like melee and range and dealing with ranged characters in this game is a whole different thing because at least with a zombie you can run away but like a gun's gonna catch up with you <laughs> and um I, I, I thought this whole section was a very strange thing to put against a player who has only just started to learn how to play this type of game because you have essentially either just stealth and distraction or like a single handgun. And I really felt like what I eventually ended up doing was just sprinting through this area once I got caught. Like I got noticed about a third of the way through and then literally sprinted all the way across the map <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, and got valid. to the end of it. Yeah. That's that's a really interesting experience. I I have a I have a question. Um, what what difficulty level are you playing on? I Normal. I okay. Normal. So I have a sort of unique experience in the sense of I had these same frustrations playing on hard mode. Um, but every time I would actually try to sprint through it, they will just murk you. You can't run, and so. Right you really have to play the game in the limited way that they want you to. And I think when you are forced to confront those mechanics, like, I think eventually they are good. I do like the stealth mechanics in this game, but I agree with you in the sense that they don't establish up front that right. this is a stealth experience, kind of. Like, you don't really know what you're expecting. And... I think that the attempt at immersion by sort of not tutorializing as much as I think right. the game could, um, I think that is a sacrifice because I think that they could establish things. Like, it would be really helpful to know that Ellie and Tess cannot be seen because right, if you right. don't know that, you just see it eventually and you're like, that's goofy and that's fun. Um, yeah. But at first, you're really worried about it. And I think that's sort of the thing that this game does is... um. There's an attempt at immersion um, at the expense of maybe explaining to the player and easing them into the mechanics. Yeah, and I think so, what I was going to say is, like, mm. like you were saying, this particular section does not really telegraph to you that it, you are still, like, in a tutorial. Like, you are still trying to be taught things. That, like, you need to do this in a very specific way. And I think it's interesting comparing this section where you're fighting, like, these armed guards to the stuff with the clickers that we'll get to in a minute, which doesn't, again, like, does not outwardly, be, like, bring up the tutorial screen and tell you stuff, but does, like, is able to illustrate concepts to you in a way that is both natural within the world building, but also is able to kind of, like, establish the stakes of engaging with something without making you directly engage with it, like, immediately, like, right out the gate, which absolutely. they absolutely make you do here with these armed guards. And okay. I, I think, so, 
this section technically falls under next episode i i believe but um the the section in the capitol building where you are trying to sneak out and and get past the guards there i felt are we counting it as part of this episode the the uh angry talk at the end is where we're ending this episode angry talk okay gotcha uh i thought we were ending it a different place but that's all good (laughs) this is another part of the last of us season is we don't have those finite like we're doing this mission today uh yeah the last of us doesn't always have those it it does in some places but it doesn't always have those hard stops um but yeah so i mean later later on in this episode then like when you are escaping the capitol building uh i felt like that was a better version of this because Mm -hmm. not only are you in an environment that seems better suited in general to stealth like there's more opportunities to move around and kind of use those side rooms and stuff like that but and maybe this was like you know the the glare plus darkness talking but like there were there were points in this section specifically where i would throw something to try and distract guards and only one of them would go after it and so i'd be stuck in the situation where like there's a guard standing in a doorway and i need to get past him and when i distract them another guard goes to check it and i have to go over and choke this guard out now but then a guard a third one was coming up behind me with the flashlight and he spots me choking his pal he's like hey look at this guy and then five more pop out of the woods are like let's shoot him <laughs> like, um like i there were just multiple i i think i ended up taking about like let's say somewhere in the neighborhood of like six to eight tries to get through this section where it was just like oh that bottle didn't distract all the characters i wanted it to or oh like this i was waiting too long to move forward and eventually i just got pinched because the guards will eventually encroach upon the spot that you are in uh given enough time and it, it just never felt as natural as the Capitol building did where it, it felt but that one felt much more like I was able to do stuff like mm. oh hey I throw this thing over here also there was some bullshit where a dude definitely could not see that I had thrown something but then he like turned around he's like I saw somebody throw something and like came for me instead of going for the brick or whatever and I was like man fuck you <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 think it's, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned this because I it reminds me very much of a game I was playing two weeks ago, uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, in which, like, you will mm. throw an object and someone will go, like, oh, I heard something over there. And then they'll tell his teammate, I'm going to go here. You stay and take point in case someone comes up behind me. And those yeah. little interactions help you understand the way the AI, AI works. Here, right. they throw you in and you're like, why isn't that one looking at this thing? Why does it take five seconds for them to notice a brick I threw? That, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, which like they did like come like come to think of it like part two does get like a better about like hearing oh, yeah. teams of people communicate and like helping you have like a great greater understanding of like how the AI is functioning in the video game that this is. So yeah, like I like I know a lot has been made of the of the dog violence uh, advertising mm. of two, but that was really effective. You kill someone's dog, and then they're like, "Oh no, look around there! I'm gonna go look at my dog that's dead." And then you're like, "Okay, they're gonna go look at their dead dog. I can escape now." And little things like that. That's why you like kill that. the owner first. What? That's why you kill the owner first. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> or that's but... why that's when you kill that that dumb dog lover first. That's that's all I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, no, like little stuff like that makes that game more like more right. easy to understand how to navigate the world, right? Right. Yes. 
for sure. Um, and, and then once once we get past this, we get through this this whole section where it's like, you know, we're sneaking past flashlights and all that, and that's much more like, hey, shoutouts to 360 PS3 era design. We're dodging the spotlights and, and <laughs> moving around and stuff, and like much more at home here. <laughs> but yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's 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 a weird it's a weird section. I again I this was the peak of my frustrations and within this episode we will get to a point where i'm much happier with how this game is is happening in the action Mm. segments but um we we do get to um after we could get through a lot of patrols and and i remember just like sprinting through at least half of this i think once i got past that initial part i actually stealthed and stuff but um that initial one i just took forever getting through um but we move through and eventually ellie says that there's a qz with doctors still trying to find a cure and that that's kind of what we're trying to get ellie to and and while tess is really big on this um like joel is not and i think this is we kind of start to see the divide here between joel and tess a little bit and Mm. it can i think we talked about this earlier and it's still something that kind of like weighs on me even where i'm at in, in the point of the game I'm at now, but I, I don't feel like we got enough time with Joel and Tess, like being mm-hmm. informed of what their relationship is. Cause we are through other characters dialogue. We are informed that they have been together for some time and right. there is obviously a relationship of some kind there. But I think for the duration of this game, we just kind of see them as first kind of cohorts that are cohabitating. And then, like in this section they're immediately like put against each other as this idealism versus cynicism um uh over whether there is actually a way to fix all this and so immediately i was like okay so now we're like against tess now we're like oh tess you don't know what you're saying it's it's a weird way to characterize this character that essentially joel is supposed to have a deep relationship with but we barely get any time with compared to other characters in this game yeah and i think it's like in the small moment like so even in this conversation that uh they're having about you know whether this this could be a thing and joel is being as you know dismissive as he is doesn't want to do this Tess like looks at ellie and says i get it like clearly she knows him well enough to know about sarah and knows that that, mm-hmm. that this kid who might be a cure is also like rubbing up against 20 years of trauma so like and you know there'll be a point later where uh, they're talking about like you know the score that they're gonna get for doing this job, and Tess is like, uh, I maybe after this we'll settle down for a bit, and you know like it, it's establishing that like they are clearly more than partners of business, and sure, um, I think it informs maybe what's gonna be like kind of like the final major event of this episode, and why Joel might despite his cynicism have a personal reason to keep going um but yeah i think i it's it's i don't really want to put a pen in this until we get to the end yeah <laughs> okay okay yeah let's, let's do that i we do move on to some interesting parts here with like again we get more world building about the idea of how long this infection has been going on like seeing skyscrapers and stuff like that and ellie being like wow look at how tall these buildings are and i'm like yeah it's, you've never seen this oh Oh, you never seen this? Oh, right. that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we get some information. And, and so this is weird. In, in the time between the first um, 
episode and this episode, I ended up rewatching I Am Legend because I weirdly felt like that was a movie I wanted to watch again after playing through this like section. And it's specifically because they talk about like how the big cities were affected and I always find that stuff very interesting. You know, how does the how do the governments respond to breakouts in massive populated areas and here uh they didn't respond very well they just kind of bombed it <laughs> and, yeah um classic government <laughs> so. yeah like i think i think it's really interesting like not to make this too grim but it's interesting playing this game uh with seeing how COVID has been handled here right in yep. terms of just like oh yeah i could totally see the government falling through here and like maybe in 2013 i was like mm, no maybe they Things would right. never get this bad, but now I'm like, oh no, no, I think they would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, there's a. That there's, is, oh, you go oh, first, Ken. I would say like that has been like a weird like friction for me to play this game because like I know that like and we talked about it last week. There's like maybe like an an idealism that some people have like makes these games like hard to parse and like makes them not something that you want to engage with, and that's totally valid. But like also seeing that idealism and like being put against this one like. Things have not been like fucking peachy and perfect in the like in the midst of a real world pandemic that have that has made that like sticking point and like weird like weird moments of like catharsis that comes with playing a game like this and like or yeah it's it's that whole thing absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. yeah there there's a scene in I Am Legend where they're having like a flashback and it's it's while their Will Smith's character is trying to drive his family to get off the island and they're listening to a radio address and and the i think it's supposed to be the president is giving an address that's like for the good of mankind we're going to have to do what has to be done this is not an easy decision and stuff like that and it's it's what literally leads to them like you know causing chaos and destruction and death on their own you know on on their own land and all that on their own people on their own populace and I think seeing that here was like another gut punch where it's like you you realize like part of it is oh wow this is how bad the infection got that this was seen as a reasonable answer but also like this is something that humanity can stomach as a reasonable answer to something mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a big whammy for you <laughs> and yeah. uh kind of informs a lot of like what was happening in the qz and all that like people are so desperate that to to ensure their own survival they're willing to do a lot of things to other people um absolutely on this lovely note (laughs) it's um you do know like seeing some of these games uh here is where i've i've only been to boston once in my life so i can't really comment on the the state of boston we were all there yeah oh yeah yeah um oh god pax wow remember pax (laughs) just had it just had a flashback yeah um but you know we we start moving through these buildings and obviously like things are already starting to get bad we're like uh uh-oh there's some dead bodies in here and some abandoned equipment and all that um and, and just as a whole note, I think this entire section where they're moving through these really large buildings is spectacular. I think it's mm. just, I think this is where up to now, uh, the level design had just kind of been like, wow, yeah, these, they definitely played Gears of War. Like that's, <laughs> um, you know, it's good job. And, but once we got here into these buildings 
and you're seeing these areas that were like on a tilt because of how they've been falling apart and gradually tumbling over for years and stuff and um you have sections where you're like out on the edge of a skyscraper like moving around the corner of it those were really cool i was like oh this is you know that's that's definitely like an uncharted thing to do Mm-hmm. but like i it it makes it really cool that like oh this is for me i was i was looking at, i was like this is what joel and tess are kind of used to they've done this sort of work where you have to move through these zones to get to places to make deliveries and 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 to do what they do is as, as I, I guess smugglers would be the best word mm-hmm. but um yeah. it was it was a cool experience seeing it all for the first time alongside ellie and then we run into our first clicker um someone who has been infected for so long so so they have already turned and we've we've met you know we've dealt with a lot of people that have turned already and they just kind of become you know feral and the run at you runners yeah yeah um that's like they have name name for the stages okay so runners we we've dealt with those before you know they're kind of just really pissed off humans you know if you've ever been in a sports riot you know what a runner is (laughs) um that's that's what we've got here but if they are left alone for long enough eventually the the fungal infection the cordyceps virus overcomes them and they become clickers which uh, basically, their head looks like a mushroom, kind of yeah. like it's like, like a real... sprouted out from it's their. So cool! It's so yeah, cool. it's it's such a bonkers design because it it's it's horrifying because it's like you've seen runners and so you know what point A looks like, and right. then you see clickers and you know what point B looks like, but the distance between point A and B is very concerning. <laughs> right? There's there's a process that had to happen there, and by seeing point A and point B, you have to envision what that process looks like, and it does not look pretty. Like, ooh. <laughs> and what's interesting about that process in particular with the clickers is like, and I'm sure that this y'all have talked about this before, but the the clickers and the whole thing with the cordyceps is you know drawn from a real life phenomenon that happens obviously to smaller creatures but there are there are different mushrooms and spores that take over and like Mm -hmm. make bugs and what and animals like their hosts and whatnot and this Mm -hmm. is like a very interesting look at like a real scientific phenomenon and going hmm how can we make this scary for humans and i think it's like very effective just the idea of this fungus slowly growing out of you like it's it's really cronenbergian body horror and i just absolutely love it Mm -hmm. i i think like bouncing off of that like the thing that makes the clickers really terrifying to me is not just like what they look like and the fact that they can basically one shot you but um it's it's this idea that they so they have lost all eyesight they can't see at all um and i'm assuming smell is probably no go you know that's not really brought Mm -hmm. up either but basically they're the way they sense the way they hear is by using echolocation uh they click with something deep inside whatever you want to call their their head cavity at this point (laughs) and 
it sends out you know a wave and and they detect disturbances the wave you know like echolocation and use that to follow things and so they can kind of tell when things are moving around them by hearing them and so we get into a segment where we have to get by some clickers and deal with clickers and we go through a couple different like escalating series of rooms where at first there's some clickers and then there's some clickers and some runners and then you have like i think near the end of this there's an entire room of like basically just clickers and boy was that part real fucking good (laughs) but um it's uh it's terrifying because like you have to think about the sort of creature that this has evolved to like to continue to spread to like you can tell that this is not just like necessarily a survival thing but they have like developed an ability to detect things they're trying to be undetected and continue to spread the virus and the Mm. the clicking is really effective for me because it's such an inhuman way of detecting Mm. things like i you know you sit there and try to go like with your tongue and like i'm I'm not picking up anything it's Mm. so it's like it's it's like a death rattle haunting yeah and there's also like the terrifying notion that like clickers aren't done being overtaken by this fungus that is like most clickers die before they ever get into anything further but like that fungus is still growing even at Mm -hmm. this point and that becomes like something that we'll get into in another episode or two um the way the way that like comprehensible science works to make that concept work and that is what makes it's scarier than most zombie fiction for me Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i'm glad you mentioned that too because the idea that these these have been growing over time it just like not only does it give you an appreciation for like how long this infection has been going on how it's become like you know we have colloquialisms for what these are and also that they're not ridiculous names like walkers or whatever like that's that's a dumb name but (laughs) shout outs to the walking dead but um (laughs) but like clickers is a really good name because it like immediately gives you a sense of what they are but also like this has been going on long enough that there's a taxonomy of these things and that they keep growing and the idea that just because like, like the longer this goes on you don't know if there's an end to that evolutionary point uh something right. that does get like brought up again like you said in, in, in an episode or two and it's like that's frightening like like that this we don't know how bad this can get yet and this this fungus is clearly not content to simply be spread around by bites but it's going to continue evolving in ways that will make it more difficult to kill and make it easier to either infest us or wipe us out and yeah it's interesting to think about that as like that's kind of the existential enemy throughout all of this even though i like most zombie fiction are humans the real enemy (laughs) absolutely (laughs) um so yeah, we we go through this this whole scene. Also, like really upfront, I'm glad you mentioned this. This can like how careful they have to be with killing a a clicker, and like you know how scary it is to deal with one. They're very like upfront with that. Like, hey, right. this is you are not dealing with just a runner that you can beat up with a baseball bat if you mm-hmm. want. Like right. this thing it's an involved process to take one out and they are frightening and even just one is an ordeal to deal with right. um 
and we do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just I was just gonna say like the the escalation that they do in establishing that a clicker can be the like in a room full of like five runners and one clicker, the clicker is the thing that you need to worry about. Like yes. you could be overtaken by the runners, but you can run away. But if that clicker grabs you once, you're fucked. Yeah, and that like they have that scene like the the escalation that they do is like you find one's kind of like uh, grown into a wall, which is like kind of like a death state for them. Mm-hmm. Like I guess if they like don't have something to eat, they're gonna die like anything else. And most of them just kind of like try to grow into a wall, and that's where a lot of the spores come in, and that's how people can get infected through the air. Um, then you have one that jumps on Joel, and then a QTE that Tess has to fight off, and then you have the one that you have to kind of sneak around, and that's. The, a lone one and I don't like I mean I guess in theory you could go ahead and like just grab it and ship it yeah. but uh, mm-hmm. generally what I have done in that in that particular encounter is uh, you know they have that room covered with bricks and bottles which you can use to create sound on the opposite side of the room so you can get away but then you get to this, this fourth encounter where like you have one in the wild that you have to actually deal with and it is surrounded by like five runners and it just kind of like vibes in the middle and I, that that encounter is one that I remember from like the very first time I played this on the PS3. Uh, was one of like the points where like my death counter was going up because it was like it is like it has no tutorial. It is a learning experience, and like what can you get away with when one of those things is in the room? Mm-hmm. And so I, this time I accidentally I fucked I fucked up the first time because uh, one of the I did not realize the runner was like next to me, and then I you know was just. Found by one, and then they all just kind of descended upon me with Clicker. What's the one that got me? The Clicker is the one that got the killing blow. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually, it's just like, it was one of the points where I really felt, and like this, especially in these early sections, I feel like sort of a economy of like supplies and like using like, you know, a shiv to open up a door to maybe possibly get more supplies on the mm-hmm. other side. Um, but not necessarily every time that there will be sometimes where you, like, you can absolutely waste a shiv and like there will be nothing of use yeah. there for you. Um, but here, especially in that moment, like, I was like, okay, I've got, you, like, you, we pick up the revolvers, like, I do have a gun, I do have some um, bullets, but that is not necessarily ideal. Uh, but I am kind of limited on what I was, or, like, I didn't have a, like, I didn't have, like, even a brick with me or anything like that to, uh, or, or a med kit or anything. Like, I was basically, I had my revolver and I had a pipe. And I was like, okay, I gotta make this work. I gotta get... Uh, at least enough of these runners down so that I can get to the clicker and shiv him before I, uh, like, without um, tipping anything off. And then that po- by that point, like, I took out maybe two of them through stealth, took out the clicker with a shiv, but then I was caught by one of the uh, runners as I was doing that. But then I could handle it. I had my pipe that could take out, you know, two of them fairly easily before breaking. Um, and so, like, I did feel like in this, these early sections, especially when they are still uh, kind of giving things to you piecemeal in a way that they, they can kind of, you know, force you to get into these situations with less supplies. I feel like you, they do a really good job of illustrating just, like, how uh, h- how long you can go without, like, coming across something that's useful. Um, which I think, depending on, like, how you kind of expect through, like, the upgrade system, that which we haven't really got into, but, like, they haven't really done much with at this point yeah um, you don't really get to do much with it until i'd say the next episode yeah and you can like maybe spec in ways that are going to be helpful for you throughout but uh here where it's more controlled and they can like really illustrate these things to you i think the illustration of the clicker without having to get into like a tutorial that brings up a text box for you they illustrate it in the world in a way that is kind of masterful in a way like i think that naughty dog really 
why wouldn't they have the more crafted linear experiences? Like, I think that the stuff maybe in the QZ, what felt like so hand-holding in a way that, like, you, we were not really seeing, like, the nuances of the systems in place. But yeah. here, this was the moment where I was like, okay, this is all clicking. They really are, uh, do it, like, they are wrapping up the world-building in, like, the tutorializing and then just kind of, like, pushing you out into the deep end in a way that, uh, really, you know, was definitely better than what we were talking about last, last episode. Yeah, I, I think I think what you're both getting at too is something that I w- wanted to bring up about this game in particular and about encountering the clickers, about encountering the runners, is that very often I think of the way that Last of Us is packaged when it is marketed to us, which is as right. a AAA emotional experience, narrative adventure, yada yada yada. Right? It's it, yeah. a lot of buzzwords, but. What is The Last of Us really? And to me, for the most part, it is a third-person survival horror game. And I don't necessarily think that is something that people bring up when talking about it a lot, but you can see the through lines from Resident Evil on the PS1 to this game, especially when you're playing it on hard, uh, which is what I'm doing right now, or grounded, which is even, you know, more hard. (laughs) You you start to really deliberately think of every single encounter, every single enemy just becomes something that could end your life in an instant. Um, every mm-hmm. missed shot matters. Like, when you miss a shot on a harder difficulty level, it feels so bad. Um, and, yeah. and and your notes here, uh, can you mention, you mentioned the shiv door, and I, I just wanted to bring that up as a really kind of example of what I'm talking about is, it is this classic survival horror choice that you can see in something like Metro 2033, even a game in which you mm-hmm. sell your bullets, you use your bullets currency, or you know shoot them. Um, it's this choice. It's this choice of do you want to spend resource to maybe survive a little better, or do you want that resource to get out of a scrap? It's all of these right. little deliberate um, mechanics that you know. Traditionally speaking, after the PS2 era, were not necessarily seen in gaming because third-person survival horror just kind of fell out of vogue. Um, Resident Evil turned to an action series, etc., etc. But here, you see Naughty Dog finding a really good middle ground in that that you have the DNA of the genre packaged in a way that most people aren't consciously thinking about the fact that they are playing a survival horror game. But Mm -hmm. for me... That's where my enjoyment of The Last of Us 1 and 2 come from, is when I'm reminded of playing one of those hard-as-nails PS1, PS2 right. games. Um, and I think this scene really exemplifies that feeling of tension and uh, desperation. For mm-hmm. sure. And, like, jumping off of that, I think I definitely felt the Resident Evil vibes, for sure. And, I, Ken, I'm glad you brought up the upgrades as well, because I think it was around this time and also, like, I'd been picking up pills, which are kind of the upgrade currency of the game that apparently in The Last of Us post-apocalypse, you just swallow a bunch of pills and get stronger. Um, <laughs> love it. But, um, it's like Max Payne rules. It, and not like specific pills, just nondescript pills. <laughs> just <laughs> bottles of unlabeled pills. Um, so, But the thing i found interesting i was having while i was playing this i definitely had resident evil feelings but also like hades feelings because one of the things that i think any good roguelike understands and i'll just use hades as an example because not only is it like wildly popular and and uh very recent it's also very very good at this it understands that everything you have is a resource and everything is exchangeable in some way for another thing so like you can spend health to try and get more gold or you know currency to buy other things like everything is sort of you're managing all these bars to try and spend 
what you can to get the tools you need to move forward. And I was feeling that a lot in these sections with the clickers where I was like, okay, well, you know, I've got, you know, I've got X number of shivs. I've got Y number of, you know, pipes and bats and stuff littered around. I've got some bullets and I've got some bottles and bricks I might be able to find lying around. And I've also got my health. Like, how willing am I to sacrifice and maybe, like, fist fight a runner a little bit and risk getting, you know, beat up a little bit in order to not have to use a bullet here? And um, I think by the end of these sort of combat encounters as they introduce stuff to you, like, especially the Molotov was where it kind of clicked for me and and the ability to craft your own med kits as well. Like, that's a decision you have to make. Do you want to use... Mm -hmm. They use the same resources so do you want to use those resources to get more health or do you want to use them to get a molotov and i think there's valid reasons for either choice depending on what sort of situations you want to get into and feel comfortable getting into i find myself going more for molotovs and so i actually ended up using my first batch of pills to get a health upgrade because i knew that i had sacrificed Mm. i I was not going to be making as many med kits as i was making other things with those uh uh, resources so I needed the extra health to get me through some situations and I think there's like a very delicate but good balancing act happening here and, and this is like again like finally the combat and and the action is starting to click with me because I can see the balance that is happening there it's not just I don't know man here's here's some shivs and some handgun bullets and try not get killed by these soldiers with assault rifles good luck buddy like it's, <laughs> I'm I'm seeing some like some craft work here, if you will. Yes. Not to say the other stuff was done poorly. It's just like I'm seeing the hands in motion that are guiding you through this area, and and not necessarily guiding you. You're going to fucking die in these areas, right. but you can see that there's intent there, and I like when I can see that intent. So um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it, I dug it, these it, areas. Like get that limited those limited kind of items and that deliberate design choice and you sort of brushing up against the way that maybe not the way they like quote unquote want you to play the game but certainly the way that ideally you are engaging with the most mechanics it reminds me of like one of my favorite sequences in a game a uh, rule of rose you get your first weapon and it's a dessert mm-hmm. fork and it's completely useless and you feel this sort of like yes I can finally fight back but to do so i have to make myself super vulnerable so i have to like find individual targets that i can maybe get out of the way with this fork but if i try to like encounter a group i maybe should just learn to sneak around the enemies anyway and not and like forego weapons altogether right the weapon you get is so kind of skimpy that you have to think about how you use it and how it makes you approach the game and you see that level of deliberate survival horror craft work with what you're talking about here mm-hmm yeah, and so we, we keep moving. I'm going to speed us up a little bit because we are spending a lot of time talking about this <laughs> <Yeah>. section. <laughs> okay. It's a but, good section. Um, but we move through a bunch more areas, um, and as we're taking out these clickers, we're getting some like background information. Um, fireflies. We find a dead firefly at one point, um, which we were supposed to be meeting up with fireflies at the Capitol building, so that's not great. And one of them even has a note that seems to be a whole lot about Ellie, <laughs> which doesn't look that good. Um, and and we get through rooms and rooms more where we finally get to an area where we're back out in fresh air only to, uh, God, the section where you're, 
you're above ground, but you're at a garage door, and you're basically trying to crank it open and get through while this pack of runners are running at you. Yeah. Like, again, talk about a situation where they have, like, okay, they've introduced the clicker, and so now the runners in the room are not as scary as the the one clicker in the middle of the room. So suddenly the runners are, like, receding in your mind as a threat. And then you see a horde of them running towards Joel in, in, a, in a manner that you've never seen before. And it's like, oh, no, these will totally fuck you up, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they get through the garage door um, and, and keep moving on. Um, I actually, I did I not get this bit with you mentioned the thing about Ellie and the story of how she got bit. Uh, I mean, and it was um, it wasn't a cutscene or anything. It was just kind of like a. I wonder like, if it didn't trigger ambient dialogue. Uh, it might not have, but she just kind of like says that uh, she would sneak out of her school and kind of like wander about the QZ, and she went to a mall and um, she got she got that's where she got bit. Um, and presumably she vibed until she did not turn and then was like, okay, something's up. She went to Marlene for help. Um, yeah, and so that was pretty much the gist of what she told us at this point. Without getting into any spoilers for that thing, uh, that it's interesting that she went to a mall uh, when you consider um, something from Left Behind. Um, that's what the DLC yeah. is called, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, when you think about, like, she went to a mall, and you think about that in context of just, like, what that particular uh, development of her as a character meant, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> mm. I've never played... This, this is actually, like, fun... I think I've said it on the podcast already, but for, for Bella, this is my first time through The Last of Us series ever. Ooh, um, ooh, ooh, that's so exciting. So I, I obviously... I know some things. I know, obviously, like, just through osmosis of being in games for a while, but I actually don't know much of what happens in Left Behinds. <laughs> Um, awesome cool so i am actually very interested in that part um but uh we keep we keep moving through we're in like a weird museum and stuff like that uh we end up trying to get through an area with debris again this is like you want to talk about nightmares for me like there are a few things in life that i will never do one of them is like deep sea cave spelunking because (laughs) the fuck are you doing <laughs> like that's a cave <laughs> under the ocean you can't breathe under the ocean and it's all like spelunking is already not on my list either because that's a cave why are you going to cave we we have we have outdoors outside it's perfectly good we got caves at home yeah exactly exactly we got you know a cave at home you make a blanket for it good job you made a cave like and that and that one doesn't have cave monsters in it cave monsters live in the cave and as far as I'm concerned, don't cross that spectrum. We're going to be good. They want to live in the cave. We don't want to live in the cave. Everybody's happy. Why are you trying to live in the cave? But, um, yeah, so this whole area where they're trying to get through all this debris and there's, like, all these things shifting that could collapse at any minute. And as we soon realize, uh, there is a collapse uh, as they try to move through one area that separates us from Ellie and Tess. Uh I was just like, what the fuck are y'all doing? I would literally mm. find any other way than this. This is terrifying to me. I hate all of this. Um, but we get into another situation where we're once again sneaking around, dealing with various runners and clickers and such. I think it was mostly clickers for me, actually. I, I don't remember a lot of runners until we get to the later section yeah. of this, where we bust into a room where there's a ruckus a happening and uh tess is struggling with a runner as another one is trying to beat down the door and we basically get into a big fracas in the middle of the room which was 
kind of fun in a way i was like this is kind of goofy <laughs> it's like it, it was a nice like tension breaking moment it's just yeah. like it had been like clickers and uh dire stealth for a, a mm-hmm. minute so like just give me a brawl yeah at this point it's just like you know what jill's just gonna it, it, it was almost like a yakuza scene like it was just joel <laughs> beating up runners in the middle of this room punching them and picking up two by fours and slapping them with it suddenly <laughs> I bet Kiryu Cosmo would do all right in the apocalypse. I think he'd do okay. <laughs> they made a whole game about it. Dead Souls. Oh, right. Yeah, you, oh he, he does fine. <laughs> he, t- he does all right. <laughs> um, and so we regroup and uh, we ask Tess how, Tess how she's doing. Um, and she's just she's a little bit winded. You know, that was a bit scary, that whole situation. Um and Ellie has a very like do small panicked breaths count. That was I I love that line a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and Joel, they can. yeah. Well, I I thought that was a moment of Joel like recognizing that this has been very like, like at this point he's not been wanting to deal with her sass and all that. And I think at this moment he kind of acknowledges that it's not just her being a a young girl who wants to just like you know fuck authority and all that kind of stuff but you know the sass is maybe a way for her to cope with all the potentially life-ending shit that she is dealing with in the span of about a couple hours and so he's like yeah yeah okay it's all good whatever um like it's a laugh line but there's also like a a sweetness to it and that like there that is also like part of the like one of the themes of this game is like yeah those small breath, panic breaths count because you are still alive. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're still breathing. I think this this was the moment where I noticed their relationship start to kind of turn around, where they started to not only like talk a little bit more, but Joel was not just like brushing off or like ignoring her in right. a malicious way. Like he kind of starts just, you know, I, I like that you said like resigned <laughs> himself to it. Yeah. Like he's. He's like, okay, whatever, fine. And and honestly, like, that alone is a concession on his part that, that he makes that I feel like speaks a lot to them starting to endear themselves to each other, I guess. Yeah. Um, you, the, the temperature in the room is changing in multiple ways that we will uh, discuss in a minute. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, mm-hmm. like, the dynamic in the room is shifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just between them, but maybe the third person in the room as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was weird that, like, in this situation, like, after that moment specifically, Tess suddenly starts to become the person who's like, shut up, let's just keep moving. Mm-hmm. Whereas Joel is the one who's kind of, you know, palling around or whatever. And, yeah. I mean, I think that does speak to a situation that has just happened and that we were about to discuss. But um, it's it's a weird dynamic shift um, that we get while we are picking up boards and placing them across buildings to walk across. Something that I did not think would become a predominant mechanic in this game, but good lord, <laughs> I have played, played enough of this game now to realize that apparently uh, it's boards and ladders are, uh, are and the real currency in this world. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we keep moving along, keep hustling, uh, wade through some water where ellie mentions that uh she can't swim Mm -hmm. uh which will become a thing (laughs) as it keeps going um and we finally get to the capitol building and everybody's dead (laughs) all the fireflies are dead 
Uh, so this is a bit of a problem. Um, Tess is looking around trying to figure out what it is. Um, you know, Ellie's saying she doesn't know where she's supposed to go. She just knows that the lab is somewhere out west, generally. Um, and so as Tess is trying to figure out what to do next, Joel is kind of like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this, we did our job. We got Ellie to the capital. We're done. This is over. Ellie was cargo. We delivered the cargo. It's done. And they keep going back and back and back, you know, like you've done bad things this we've done what we need to survive and joel's like we we gotta get by we gotta do what we gotta do we gotta go home tess is like i'm not going anywhere this is it for me and that's when it kind of clicks um that tess has been bitten she is infected um we can probably infer that it happened during that whole fracas that we just had and more importantly uh she was bit and her wound looks so much worse than ellie's does so not only is this like oh no tessa's bit she's gonna turn and die also we get a little bit of confirmation that what has happened to ellie is really strange it's not what's supposed to be happening and so ellie is telling the truth about everything that she said so far and we hit this confrontation confrontation between the two where tess is basically like look you've got to see this through we might actually be able to do something about this you can't just sit on the sidelines anymore uh and and tells joel to take her to tommy by the way who has barely come up at all but joel's brother tommy uh might be able to help because he's been previously involved with the fireflies so now we've got all kinds of stuff going down and on top of all that the guards from the city arrive in a big old fancy rv van whatever um i forgot what the word for that is all of a sudden troop transport of some kind uh and tess insists that we go on and she holds them off um fuck (laughs) y'all yeah like ken i'll just bounce it to you man what are you feeling in this moment oh it's it's a delicate situation because like there is an argument to be made that tess is like being like because, like, she, she says to Joel, like, there ha- like you are this person who, like, tries to feel nothing, but, like, there has to be enough here for you to feel some obligation to mm-hmm. me, to my wishes, to what I would like for you to do. Um, and so, like, there is, like, maybe a, you could say that Tess is being fridged to, like, fuel Joel's pain, but I feel like that particular, like, trope involves, like, a level of, like, a lack of agency upon the person that is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all about, like, what she wants. She is, she, all of this, you know... She, she is not Kyrie from Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, and I think, like, so, like, n- not, like, direct spoilers, but, like, this is going to be a, r- a running theme of, like, the characters that are not Joel and Ellie are, like, basically, like, putting their weight on these two to keep going. And Tess is, like, the first example of that, of being, like, my hope is that the world can be better than it is is being put on this possible cure for the thing that has ruined the world mm-hmm. um and i think i i admire that part of tess because like she is you know kind of the first person to make that like i mean we'll be on like marlene and like the fireflies like to say that this world can be better than what we have seen and say that to joel and be like hey this is worth like if if you if you think the world is completely fucked, you must have feel something about me and like th- that I am asking this of you. Like 
all this that we've done together. Like, I, I need that to mean something, and I, and I will give my life to make sure that it means something in the end. Um, and you know, like, taking that into account, what's, what's going to happen later, it's, it's a whole fucking mess of emotions and things to contend with. But um, I really admire Tess, and, like, that in that moment, like, she has been... That she has been, like, you know, the light in this section of the game, despite the fact that, like, she's got this brooding man that insists that nothing can be better. And that she, all she can do now is hope that, like, their relationship was enough for what her, what her desire is to continue on past her, past her death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think that you're... And I'm really glad you brought this up, actually. I... I made a flippant joke when I got to the section because I was just like, how many dead women or how many women in Joel's life do you have to hurt mm. to characterize him? You know, you got the daughter. As presumably something happened with his wife. I actually do not know the in-canon reason for what happened to his wife, but she's not in the picture anymore. Then his daughter passed and now Tess. And it is easy, right, to go into that immediate, like, ah, oh, you're just fridging these characters. But I think that you're right, I think that Tess gets a lot more agency than somebody who's just a love interest, especially because the game does not make a point to make their... Like, I I think you're right. They have a relationship, something that's probably more than business, more than friendship, maybe, right? But Mm. they don't go out of their way, um, aside from her improbably proportioned character model, um, (laughs) to make her something that a male audience, a straight male audience, would be like, oh, I have an emotional attraction investment to because she's my girlfriend. Right. They don't do that to her. They they right. let her be her own character. And I think that's what prevents that moment from playing out like this. And not to get not to get personal, but this moment is super important for Joel. And I say this because Joel reminds me a lot of my dad. And I've seen my dad in crisis situations where something happens where he's just like, he has this sentimentality break and then somebody he cares about tells him that he needs to do something and he will just get right on it. He will just snap back into reality. And I mm-hmm. see that dynamic here. And you see that tenderness between Tess and Joel here. And that is something that it's not necessarily their relationship does not define Tess, but their relationship is both important to them, is important to both of right. them for clearly two different reasons. And that's what makes it to me not feel like fridging. And plus, you know, right this is a world in which everyone kind of gets, you know, maimed or killed at some right. point. That's the implication, right? So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love this scene. I It honestly makes me tear up still. Like, I was sitting there like, oh, no. Oh, there's yeah. nothing you can do. And that feeling of helplessness is really effective. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've gone back and forth a lot on this uh, after playing it, where I was at first kind of feeling like it really sucks that Tess like has to die for character development here um at first i kind of felt like oh man so there's three characters and we can't have that this is the joel and ellie game so we got to kill one of them (laughs) and (laughs) um and i felt like Tess did not get as much development as i i would have liked i I think i still feel that way where i would have wanted just like a little bit more time maybe specifically between joel and tess because i think a lot of their conversations happen either in group situations and so you just kind of see them interacting in a group and not specifically with each other or um you end up i think this is maybe what helped color it a little bit is that you get a lot of sense of this 
in Bill's town, like you get told a lot of things about the way that Joel is supposed to feel about Tess and the relationship that they were supposed to have. And I was like, why am I getting told this when I could have been shown this better? But I also like the more I've reflected on it and also like kind of gone back to these scenes and stuff like that. It is, I think they are two characters who definitely did have, they had an attachment to each other, but it was for maybe different reasons. And that's where this conflict that we've had in this last section kind of comes to a head is that Joel just, he almost just wants, you know, like fuck everything else in the world. Like that very like um, Calvin and Hobbes, like I wish everyone else was dead, but me so I could just live peacefully and deal with the shit that I've had to go through. And maybe I will, have one person with me who can be that companion and Tess can can be that whereas Tess wants more Tess wants right a better world Tess wants a healed world and she's willing to die for it uh mm-hmm. whereas Joel up to this point has not been willing to die for it he literally makes a case for that we should probably just leave Ellie here or just let her do whatever the fuck she wants to do but we did what we were supposed to do so let's just leave and I think seeing having that moment where a companion who's close to him, who he feels understands him, obviously understands like his trauma, his his issues that he's had over the years dealing with Sarah and stuff like that, um, is telling him that you can't be that anymore. I'm not going to allow. I'm not going to like let you continue to be that. <laughs> I'm going to die so you understand that. Um, it it is that moment where you have you see Joel like he does snap like he is immediately kind of like he has a moment you know he has he has his moment of doubt in the garden where he's that's an expression he's not literally in a garden (laughs) um uh but he's uh he does have that moment where he's like i can help you i can fight like he's willing to die there too alongside tess and tess says no you i'm not going to let you get off that easy you are going to i mean the the way the way she says it is make this easy for me and their version of easy is like Tess, her easy is Joel gets away and lives and, and potentially saves the world. And Joel's easy is I'd rather just die here with you. And mm. like that choice is forced upon him to be like, no, you have to go. Like, you can't just be that selfish. You, you have to do something for this world if you're going to keep living in it. And that's, that's the moment where I was like, okay, I, like I kind of get what this game is getting at now. And it's, it's doing a little bit more, more for me than, other zombie fiction has where it's like uh you belly you brought you brought up that um like a lot of zombie fiction is about like oh well somebody dies there's somebody gets maimed and somebody gets hurt and killed and last of us is not unique in that respect but i think where it sets itself apart from things like the walking dead for me is that there's actual character development happening alongside it. It doesn't feel like there's a showrunner who said like, mm. well, we can't re up this person's contracts. It's time to kill them all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I think that's like a, just like a real quick jump off of that. I think it was like an insistence in something uh, like any sort of space about the walking dead. It's like, it's not about the zombies. It's about the people where I feel like the last of us is like an actuality, like an actuality. That is what it feels like. And um, I, I feel like that's a cop out for like a lot of zombie fiction to be like, very, very, like, uh, derivative and samey, and I feel like The Last of Us, like, by actually understanding what it means to make something actually about the people instead of the zombies is where it elevates itself. Well, yeah. I think... I, I just wanted to, to drop a pin here, because we can't even really talk about it, but just this moment 
this this choice that Joel makes to just leave Tess here and not like choose to stay and, and die fighting these guards or even live and potentially like deal with watching Tess die or having to kill Tess himself or something like that, but making that choice to leave her behind and die the way she wants to. I I think contrasting that with some of the things that happen in The Last of Us Part Two, uh, the choices that Ellie makes um between what is easy and what they want to do um is is interesting i think it's an mm. interesting contrast i just put a pin in that for many many episodes from now <laughs> yeah no and i think there's something very interesting too about the framing of the violence here the framing of what happens the test and the framing of the society mm-hmm. and i think it reflects on joel in a very interesting way so you know sarah dies very early on and her death is it is senseless state-ordained violence. It is mm-hmm. his child is shot. Like it's it, there. There is no justice. There is no like hope from a child dying um, because the government said to do it. That is something that would fundamentally break a human being. It would certainly break me. And then all of this time later, he sees another person he cares about die. But this time, he it's this it's like basically the state again in its own way, right? And mm-hmm. he sees a death have meaning. He sees the death of someone mm-hmm. he cares about have meaning this time around. And it almost right. snaps him back into this, maybe I can have hope again state. So it's like mm-hmm. the framing of the violence around what happened to his daughter and contrasting that to what happened to Tess is like, oh, this person had agency in their last moments for a greater cause. And maybe there is right. a greater cause. And if this person I care about is willing to throw themselves at it, then I guess I can too, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think that I think the framing of that is important. And I, I think what you mentioned about The Walking Dead is also very interesting to me because where The Last of Us succeeds so well is that the fiction surrounding the separate factions and the zombie fiction itself is very interesting. The idea of the fireflies versus the... I'm forgetting their name right now. Uh, the armored the dudes. What? The government. Yeah, the government. Call it. Yeah, the government. Like, you... That dressing, that world, makes the context more interesting because suddenly it's not just zombie fiction about the people, you know, dot JPEG. It's straight right. up a... It is a wartime government thriller that you sort of see happen in the background and you suffer the consequences of and i think Mm -hmm. that makes it very interesting Mm. anyway that's those are just my thoughts about everything y'all just said (laughs) (laughs) um well we we leave tess behind and, and we also get this scene where as you're kind of escaping up to the upper levels of the capitol building and trying to find a back way out uh we hear the gunfire ringing out uh in the background in this obvious firefight happening and then it just kind of stops and um i don't think i ever actually heard i think i was far enough away or something i didn't hear the cry out but i i did hear like the gunfire stop and then you you Mm. get to this part where you can see over the balcony um which i thought a little bit weird that there's a bunch of guards there i don't notice someone peering over the balcony but (laughs) Mm. um you can see over the balcony and see like Tess dead on the ground and the guards starting to like fan out and spread around. So you do get like confirmation that, yeah, that's, it's not going to be one of those things where they mysteriously disappear and then reappear later on or anything like that. Like Tess is gone. Like that's it. Um, and then we pick up a, a rifle and we have our first big, big gun, um, which is kind of the game, not just introducing a mechanic to you, but also being like, hey, guess what? There's going to be some shooting in this area. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
even though, as I mentioned before, like this whole capital uh, escape, uh, I ended up uh, really enjoying it because I, I felt like the stealth was really good here. I actually did not kill every enemy in every room. I did a lot mm. of like sneaking past people to keep moving and stuff like that. Um, I mostly stealthed it. There was one part uh, about like two thirds of the way through where it broke out into a bit of a firefight. But they also, like, section these off into different areas where, like, if you go loud in one area, you can still kind of start stealthing when you get to the next. That's um, interesting. I didn't, I, I wouldn't have noticed that. That's cool. But, yeah, like, like mm-hmm. at the very end, that last bit with the door, it, like, like, there's basically a dude standing in front of the door. Um, and it, it, it kind of feels like they're telling you, hey, you got to get past him in some way. But I managed to, like, distract people and, and take out the right about of guards and stuff like that to where I was able to move him and, you know, like, sneak out. And I felt really good about that where I was like, not only did I, like, mostly stay stealth and all that, but this game is starting to get to a point where I'm like, okay, I don't even have to kill all these guards. And as I moved into the subway, there were, like, two guards down there, and I completely stealthed by the first one. Uh he he basically walked away <laughs> scot free <laughs> um not second guy did not have the same fate sadly but it's, um that's i it's a weird thing because i think in stealth games it's so easy to get into a state where it's like okay time to clear the room i think that i call that like the batman arkham situation where it's oh, like dude. okay time to clear the room and I think a really good stealth game can get you to the point where you realize that if you are good enough at this game and this game has enough systems and interesting things that you can twist and turn, uh, it's actually easier to just not kill anyone right. mm-hmm. and just be like, that's like if, if one version is the Batman Argum version and the other version is the Hitman one where it's like you are the sand in the microchip that just finds its way to the exact point that it has to take care of its objective and then gets out completely unnoticed. And so being able to ghost some of these sections felt really, really cool. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I myself, I only killed one person. I snuck out, snuck out like you. And I was just reminded of just how rewarding the most, like, the, for my purposes, the most rewarding stealth game is uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, And I was reminded, yeah. I'm not Hell necessarily yeah. saying this game's stealth mechanics are on that game's level, but I was reminded of that moment of like, yeah, I just strangled one dude upstairs and snuck past everyone and threw some bricks around. And like, that, that is a very rewarding feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Just knowing that you only have to maybe kill one person or not anyone if you're careful enough and... When this game lets you do that and does not corral you into a shootout, it works so well. Like, the stealth mechanics in this game, especially in this sequence, um, are, are, are very tight. Also, fun little sidebar, I don't know if y'all noticed in the upstairs area of the capital, there is a stack of bottles that are, like, physicsable objects that you can kick around, but it's hilarious because you can't actually pick them up, which is funny to <laughs> oh. me considering you can pick up other special bottles, I guess just not those glass bottles. Oh, it's which... not the right bottle. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's not the right weight. Uh, but yeah, no, the stealthing through this is very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I stealthed through the first place, and then I uh, stumbled my way into the next room and got seen, and then I was like, I'm not a bad shot with the rifle, though. Shout mm-hmm. out to me on that. <laughs> Shout outs to you. <laughs> Ken Ken really said I, I I'm a good person, but <laughs> <laughs> here the top, I go. The top of again. the factions leaderboards. That's what the multiplayer is called, right? 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh man, factions. That we don't really have fun. an episode set aside for that, but um, that was such a wild thing that I remember. I hope they, I hope they eventually bring that back in some way. I don't know how you do it today, because like the novelty of it for me, at least, like because you know, obviously, the first time, as I mentioned in the prologue, prologue of all this, that my first experience with The Last of Us was like my roommate uh, playing it and and me hanging out, but he would play factions a lot, and I always found it fascinating because of the way it tied in Facebook. So like you'd mm-hmm. see friends live and die and stuff like that. It was always fun to text them like, "Haha, you died." <laughs> and, um, <laughs> So I don't know how you do that now. Is it like Twitter followers or something? Like, oh no, mm. my mutuals were were killed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, whenever you, whenever you, whenever you like really lose, you get canceled on Twitter for some arbitrary algorithm-driven reason. <laughs> Finally, I've been waiting for the true battle royale to take place. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Uh, we also, after we get through this this whole area and into the subway, we get to another thing that I understand is uh, well, two things, let's say. So we've already experienced like having to wear gas masks around spores and all that. And we see that Ellie does not need them around the spores. So that's like if we needed any further confirmation that something's up with Ellie's biology, uh, here we go. But um, we, we get to... Uh, a water area where Joel has to find a pallet that Ellie can use as a raft to, to get across the water, uh, which I understand is a key component of the last of us, mm. <laughs> given the jokes I have seen about pallets and, and water and such. Um, pallets can't yeah. even float. They can, that, that is like the thing, like those things do not float. No, absolutely not. <laughs> We're about to do a Normandy FM investigation, all right? We're gonna go buy a pallet and throw it into a lake and see what happens, all right? That should be that should be a Patreon goal for y'all. Patreon yep. content. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I, I just want to say there is a lot of discourse about the Ellie can't swim, lol, uh, guiding mm. error across puzzles. Maybe I'm just deliberately contrarian as always, but I really like those sequences i think that they sort of remind you of ellie's tangibility as a 14 year old who's sheltered and like even though they're hokey and the physics are goofy in the way that 2013 physics were i really just enjoy this sense of ellie is super tough and cool and awesome but she also can't swim and joel Mm. gets this almost that you get this weird paternal feeling from having to do this for Ellie when otherwise she is a very capable character on her own. And I think that diet, like that in mechanic reflects how Joel starts to warm up to taking care of her to an extent. And I think I I like it a lot. It's a very cute, clunky little puzzle thing. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where I don't don't remember who ever made the joke on Twitter, but somebody did that was like, if your character is in a video game, make a joke about having to repeatedly do something. You're quote, like you're, uh, the player is probably annoyed by it too, but I was like, I. There are bigger issues to talk about than like, oh, I've got annoyed that I had to move a pallet again. I was like, mm. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had I had to play I had to play a game and the game I'm playing I don't like that. Mm. <laughs> I had um, to do things in a game. <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> <sighs> our our final moment here that we end it with is they they reach daylight and they're kind of finally clear of all the the hijinks and stuff that that happened in 
you know, with the, the, the guards coming after you and such. And we finally have a bit of a confrontation here because Ellie brings up uh, Tess and like kind of tries to apologize about what's happened. Obviously Ellie's going to feel some guilt over this. Like this is kind of the reason that this whole thing is happening. And Joel just immediately like shuts it down. It's like, you don't bring Tess up. Like you, we do not talk about Tess ever. And then, like, kind of just lays down her ground rules as, like, you don't tell anyone about your immunity. Um, I am the boss. You do what I say. Like, that's that's how this is going to work. Like, this is our relationship now. And I feel like that's... It, it's interesting because we had those moments of them, like, kind of palling around and, and joking and stuff like that. And now, immediately, like, with the death of Tess, Joel is like, okay, I have to put a foot down here i have Mm. to establish this stuff because someone has already died now and like i i don't know this is a very complicated moment for me but i think i appreciate what it's trying to do which is basically like joel coming to terms with the fact that not only is this suddenly a much larger thing than he thought it was going to be but it's also a moment for ellie to like kind of be a wake-up call to her that like hey someone has died now like this is you need to understand the undertaking that we're about to go through like this is not going to be all like snarky fun and games stuff like this is you need to listen to me Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you do what is going to be the best for all of us and you don't bring that shit up because i'm an emotionally unstable man (laughs) yeah Um, Mm. yeah yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's just it's one thing to like start to warm up to somebody when you know you're about to have to not see them when when you think you're never going to see them again in like twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and when you realize that oh this constant thing that is like prodding at all these uh, this trauma that I have from the past twenty years um, is going to be something you have to see for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and uh, this 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 moment where Joel puts an emotional distance down is. You know, out of this whole section, probably my favorite part of the section, because this dovetails with what I brought up earlier, which is why I brought it up earlier. Um, Joel's relationship right now, in which he is establishing these firm boundaries with Ellie of you listen to me, you talk to me, like, only when, like, I need you to, you do what I want you to, we don't tell each other about our anything that we get emotionally invested in. He's, he's emotionally guarded, right? And it reminds me a lot of how my dad treated me when I was a kid. And I, at the time, it made me feel really, really, really resentful and very angry. And as I got older, and I'm not going to spoil anything from Last of Us 2, but you almost see in that game that dynamic is a little different. That dynamic Mm -hmm. in that game is a little different. And now Ellie is the one resisting the emotional kind of comfort of Joel, who has now started to open up to her a little bit. And that reminds me as well of my relationship with my dad. And you see the root here with Joel sets this boundary that is clearly going to inform how Ellie is going to treat him. And then later on in life, he is obviously going to want to be closer to her, but he doesn't necessarily understand that what he is doing in this moment is always going to put her on guard and is always Mm -hmm. going to inform how she interacts with other people. And it's just a very important moment for her as a character and how she will develop and how she will treat other people. And it's a very effective scene. Mm-hmm. That's my piece. Well, That's my whole spiel. I just, I just love that part. I love that conversation, even though it's so short. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Well, now we're off to Billstown. Uh, Joel's got a, a pal. He says owes him some favors. So we're heading off to Billstown. And that that is where we will be for the next episode. But that is the cap for this episode. So I guess just wrapping thoughts. Um, Bella, kind of what was your, your take away from this? I know we, we talked a little bit about what got you into The Last of Us. And we've talked a lot about this specific section in particular but like how does it feel coming back to the last of us we, we mentioned earlier in the show like how long it's been since this game came out like how are you just feeling about this game now in you know years after it came out well i think that now that i am not kind of confronted with it from like the marketing standpoint and it's being like you know it's the big thing i'm supposed to go by right and i am a Approaching it the same way I might have approached a PS2 horror game in 2010. It's that level of, like, remove, right? I am appreciating Mm. the design of it a lot more. I am appreciating the deliberate nature of the set pieces. I am appreciating the very, very, like, thought-out story that informs stuff that happens in a sequel that was made years later. Um, Revisiting Mm. it now, I honestly feel like I am enjoying it more than I did the first time because I am appreciating poking around with the stealth mechanics and seeing how far I can push the game. And the answer is pretty far. And I also think that the story itself is, um, you know, obviously very, very, very compelling. And this is one of the most effective moments of the game, this this whole sequence, mm-hmm. I think. So yeah, I, I really like it. I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's, it's a blast. I'm definitely going to finish my current playthrough. Excellent. Excellent. That's what we like to hear around these parts. <laughs> Playthroughs. We love it. Um, that's that's going to do it for us. We, real quick, obviously, we are Norm FM. We are uh, a sensibly Bioware podcast. I, I think we're probably going to be due for some bio blips at some point. And uh, we've, we've obviously got our planned uh, Mass Effect roundtables coming up uh, once the Legendary Edition hits. I, I know, at least for me and probably for Ken, too, I've been thinking a lot about those as we get closer and closer to May. Uh, we've got some some roundtable guests lined up for that. They're going to be real good, and also still Last of Us podcast as well. <laughs> so next yep. week will be Billstown. Uh, but as always, if you want to support us, you can go over to Patreon.com/NormDFM and back us there. Any amount will get you into the backer Discord, where you can hang out and see all of our updates, see you know, chat with us, promo yourselves, whatever you want to do. It's it's a place for everyone to hang out. Uh, back at the $5 level, you get episodes early and back at a higher level and you get your name shouted out every week on the podcast. This week, that list is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just Zach Mickle, The Wedge of Destiny, Mila Hyde, and Zach James. Thank you all so much for contributing, keeping things going here. Uh, you know, paying for the the copy of the last of us and the last of us part two that i had to pick up <laughs> <laughs> um we always appreciate this stuff and look if you can't contribute that's always good just head over to twitter.com slash show where you can follow all of our updates and our episodes that go out free every wednesday or you know just barring any unforeseen terrible problems that happen on the production <laughs> i don't think we've had those yet this season but that's that's what's making me feel like we're due for one at some point but for the most part it's published on wednesdays um bella where yeah. can the folks at home find your work and keep up with what you do uh you hi you can follow me uh on twitter at viva rock bella i've got bylines at the gamer gaming mags cgm uh a lot of places um, I am also, I also host a podcast, Rocketo Punchy. It's an anime podcast and I'm the current blogger for Nutaku Games. And 
I have a short story coming out this Friday uh, called She Prowlers, which is an homage to 80s slasher movies with kind of a fun, sexy twist. So yeah, Viva Rock Bella uh, on Twitter. And yes, that is a Viva Rock Vegas reference. (laughs) I I was (laughs) thinking about asking because like some part of my lizard brain was like, I know I saw a Flintstones movie at some point that had that in it, and I just, do I ask about it or not? Oh, it's God, one of that's... my favorite movies. I have the theatrical poster in our living room. <laughs> oh, oh my lord. I've anyway. been thinking about going back, but I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> back to bedrock. Oh, all right. For Bella, for Ken, for myself, thank you all so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Normandy. Oh,